0: Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattle. He just goes till the sun goes
1: down. Hello and welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is all about reconnecting you to food. We have all kinds of great guests on Food Chat. You can check out past episodes at foodchat.us. Today we have some great guests. I'm so excited to have Zach Kruger and Bob on from the, well, Bob works for the Colorado Dry Bean Committee and Zach Kruger is actually a grower of beans and northeastern Colorado. Zach and Bob, uh, welcome to the show. Zach, well, thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: You're welcome. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I think i like to start uh, asking Zach some questions just to give our listeners a little bit of your background. Uh, Zach, uh, tell our listeners about how you got into farming.
2: I'm the fourth generation on our family farm. Um, my great great great-grandpa came from Blue Hill, Nebraska to this area and settled here in the early 30s. And then my grandpa grew up and lived on the place and my dad grew up and lives on the place now. And I came back in 2013 to start farming myself.
1: Got it. Thanks. I'd love the multi-generational farm families that uh, I meet, which is pretty common anymore. Land is so expensive that I tell people, if you're You're not likely to meet a first-generation farmer, at least in Colorado, because the land is too expensive. But, hey, Zach, tell our listeners a little bit about what you grow out there at your farm.
2: We grow um, irrigated and dryland corn, uh, irrigated and dryland wheat, uh, sugar beets and dry beans, and some forage crops like oats for hay, for cattle.
1: And, uh, Zach, probably... um, uh, most farmers know what dry land means, but my listeners mostly are urban dwellers. So, irrigated means you're watering them, and then dry land means that you're not watering them. Am I right?
2: Correct. Yes. Just, just rainfall. Okay. On our, on yeah. Our non-irrigated acres. Yes.
1: And and why? How do you select what crops you're going to grow, Zach? And how do you determine every year what you're going to grow and and how you do that? So, explain that for us.
2: We have a pretty consistent rotation. Um, on our irrigated acres it's probably 3 years of irrigated corn followed by a year of sugar beets or or dry beans and our non-irrigated acres we just uh, mainly grow wheat then followed by corn and then followed by a, a year of fallow and then back to wheat
1: and a year of fallow means you're letting the the field rest for a year with nothing on it correct
2: correct okay yes yeah, just to taking as much rainfall as we can.
1: Well, hey, today's episode of Food Chat is all about Colorado dry beans, and so we wanted to specifically narrow down and talk about Colorado dry beans. What what classes of beans do you grow, Zach, and why do you grow those classes of beans?
2: We grow um, large red kidneys and, and pinos. We have uh, a good market in our area for both, uh, and they... They do well in our environment here where it's uh, less rainfall and where we have irrigation. They work really well under irrigation.
1: Okay. And when when do you plant beans typically? When when do they go in the ground and when do you when do you harvest them?
2: We typically plant the last week of May or the first week of June. Then harvest is around the 15th. Second to third week of September, usually.
1: Okay, so pretty much just right after Memorial Day, and then right after Labor Day, pretty much is when you're you're growing beans, and and tell our listeners, you know, why why do you grow beans? As far as you know, I guess it's a crop that you can you can make some money on, but also, what does what does what do beans do for the soil? That's that's beneficial.
2: They give us an opportunity to um, rotate away from from corn for a year. It gives the, the soil a rest.
1: You're, you're resting the soil, and then, t- well, do does corn require different amount of inputs, different amount of, that, than beans do to grow?
2: They do, they require less, uh, we have to apply less nutrients. Um, the, the disease as well, we give it, we can flush out any disease that forms in corn with the year of beans. And weeds also, we use different different practices where we can uh, get away from the usual herbicide and fertilizer packages that we use on, on corn.
1: Okay, very good. Hey, I'm gonna come back to you, Zach, but Bob, I wanna ask you some questions about the, the Colorado scene for beans. So what, what type of beans are grown in Colorado all over the state? Uh,
0: Greg, it's primarily three market classes of beans, Pintos account for about 75% of our production. Light red kidneys that Zach grows also are about 10%. And then yellow or Mayocopo beans are another 10%. And then there's about five or six different market classes that make up the remaining 5% of beans grown in Colorado.
1: And where does Colorado stand in the nation as far as bean production? Where are we ranked as far as states go?
0: We, we average about six in the, in the country, we go up to five sometimes, down to seven, depending upon what other areas are doing and the uh, price for other market classes of beans, but generally about six overall.
1: Hey, we're in the top 10. That's that's great. And I know you said we grow mostly pinto beans, and I know that Colorado's kind of famous for... They're pinto beans because of the, the class of pinto beans we grow here and the, the quality of them. Why do you think Colorado is a great place to grow beans, Bob? We don't
0: know the real answer to that. My suspicion is that it's the uh, elevation, the altitude that the beans are grown at. It's the highest in the United States, and it makes for you know, bright, sunshiny days and cool nights, which I think really affects the, both the color and the quality of the beans.
1: And, you know, uh, Zach mentioned that one reason he grows beans uh, is because he rotates his crops and the beans uh, put nutrients back in the soil. But, Bob, you've been in the bean business for a lot of years. You've gone to a lot of bean meetings around the state. What other reasons can you think of why why farmers grow beans? Why do they select beans to grow versus other crops they could grow on their land? Well,
0: I think it's really what Zach said earlier. It, it, the rotation working beans into a three- or four-year rotation that Zach's referring to, you know, they beans put more nitrogen into the soil than they take out, so it kind of helps the, it, as a soil fixer. And then between the combination and the order that he does it in, it really uh, reduces pest pressure and the need for um, other chemicals to control things like mold and other diseases that, that uh, affect crops.
1: Okay, great. Thanks for explaining that, Bob. I'm going to come back to you in just a minute. Hey, Zach, you know, um, one thing when I go to uh, ag meetings in the state, I hear farmers talk about cover crops. And um, my listeners, being mostly urban dwellers, they don't really understand what a cover crop is and why a farmer would plant one. So would you explain what a cover crop is?
2: A cover crop is um, typically a a grass, a grassy mix. Um, We use rye. Or oats in our area you plant it as early as you possibly can in the spring to get as much growth as you can and then you terminate that um, that cover crop with with herbicide and it leaves uh, a layer of residue on top of the soil that protects the soil as well as it suppresses suppresses weeds and it also it will bring nutrients to the soil surface through the roots of the cover crop, and then those nutrients will be available closer to the surface for your for the for the cash crop, the main crop that you plant after.
1: Okay, so then is that cover crop then uh, when it's so it's dead and it's the fall? Does that just uh, get tilled into the into the soil the next time you till?
2: At times, yes, but uh, most years there's enough activity in the soil where it uh, it just breaks down throughout the summer to where in the fall there's hardly anything left It this uh it breaks down and is reabsorbed in the soil
1: okay kind of reminds me of the leaves on my tree is at my house if i don't have too many they'll just decompose over the winter and uh and go into the soil, which is great for the soil because there's nitrogen and valuable nutrients in those leaves. But they also protect the soil from the sun, but also but if there's too many, then of course, they get slimy and moldy and then that's not good. But um, hey, you know, um, Zach, people like myself fly air, in airplanes and see in the middle of winter sometimes green pivots, green circles in the middle of winter. What what are farmers growing in the winter uh, that, that that's green?
2: In our area, it's it would be winter wheat that's drilled in September, and it's it goes dormant over the winter, but it still it still stays green for the most part, and then it's harvested the next the next summer, next July.
1: Okay, good to know. Um, let's talk more about beans, Zach, and um, let's talk about um, the the different kinds of beans that are available for you as a farmer to pick from every year. So how do you select what varieties of, of beans you're going to grow? Maybe like, for example, pinto beans, there's, maybe you could just address the, the fact that there are different varieties of pinto beans. So how do you select those, uh, those ones?
2: We select more of a, of an upright bean plant makes our, the way we harvest uh, a more upright plant works a lot better rather than a a viney bean that really hugs the ground and spreads out laterally. We try to select varieties that have more height, more of a a bush-type plant.
1: And do you select that because you have the equipment to harvest that bean, or why exactly?
2: Correct. When we harvest, we we swath them with a windrower, and it allows the windrower to get the entire plant cut off right at the surface, and where uh, a vineyard, a vineer plant, where it's spread out more on the ground, you tend to cut more stems, and you end up leaving more on the ground, or you run it, have to run it in the dirt, and you, you move quite a bit of soil into your windrow with the, with the bean plants themselves.
1: I see. So you get less soil debris in the mix when you're using the windrower. And then, when because you're doing that, then um, wh- what happens to the, the pod that the, the bean grows in? Does that just go back out on the field?
2: After harvest?
1: Yeah, after harvest. T-
2: yep, after harvest, it, the combine spreads the entire plant uh, evenly across the, the field behind the combine. It chops it and spreads it, so it, it uh, decomposes quickly and goes back into the soil.
1: Okay, I've been up to uh, northern Colorado um, last year to see the beans being planted and harvested, and uh, this particular farmer uh, was letting the beans uh, dry out on the vine uh, before they, uh, you know, harvest them. So you're doing a different method. You're when you when you swath them and cut the beans, they're they're green, right? We
2: we do let the pods dry down, not completely, but we let them dry as much as we can before we swath. That way we can swath and combine just a couple days after so they're not laying there. Okay. In windrows where they can get rained on and those pods will open up if they're dry and then they get rained on. So we try to time it to where the plants are probably 80 eighty to 90% dead before we swath and we're able to combine just usually about two days behind the swather.
1: Okay, and I know you're growing beans um, uh, with irrigation. But if we get a super-hot August where there's very little rain, does that affect the yield of the beans, or are you um, okay because you irrigate anyway?
2: We're okay where we irrigate anyway. Um, it actually it keeps disease out when we get a lot of heat in August. So we're able to to keep the, keep the plants healthy and alive and wet with moisture, and then di- typically disease doesn't set in when we have a, a lot of heat to go with it.
1: Okay. Um, we hear a lot about, you know, water, lack of water, too much water. Um, how does the availability of water, uh, for you each year affect what you decide to grow or does it?
2: It does. Corn is, uh, definitely the highest user of, of irrigation water. Uh, beans are closer to two thirds of the We have to irrigate about two-thirds as much on beans as we do on corn. So especially where we have ground in um, Nebraska, we're on an allocation. Dry beans can help us uh, stay within our allocation by using less water than we would if we just grew continuous
1: corn. Okay. And the water that you're using, is it coming from wells that you're pumping it up, or is it coming from canals and such?
2: Everything in our area is from it's from wells pumping out of the Ogallala Aquifer, yes.
1: And you're on the Ogallala Aquifer?
2: Yes, we are. We're on the very western edge of it, but we are still on the Ogallala Aquifer, yes.
1: And how how is that aquifer doing this year? What are you hearing?
2: It's been steadily depleting year to year. This year has been a nice change of pace. We've had a lot of rainfall and there's been very little, if any, irrigation yet up to this point. Last year, we received almost no rainfall, so there is an incredible amount of irrigation in our area.
1: Okay. Hey, Bob, I want to give you a chance to chime in here. Um, You know a lot about beans and bean growing, too. Do you have any questions for for our guest, for Zach?
0: Yes. Zach, how how do you decide whether to plant pinto beans or light red kidneys? Are you looking at the market prices? Do you rotate them yearly, or how do you make that decision?
2: It's solely solely based on market prices in our area. Um, kidneys are a lot higher. Maintenance; they are more susceptible to disease, to disease and the the yields are typically about seventy to eighty percent of what our Pinot yields are. Um, so we we typically do both, um, but. Whether we do more pintos or more kidneys is usually just determined by the the price in our area.
0: And then looking at trends, in, especially in pinto beans, are you looking at? Do you, have you considered doing direct harvest? It isn't that one of the current trends in pinto breeding to make a, a really upright plant that you can direct harvest, that you don't have to windrow?
2: We have, and we we tried it for two years, but the the soil in our area we don't we have all hard heavy ground so we ran into a lot of trouble with uh just picking up mud um our ground's not not perfectly flat and even and we had some issues with mud as well as as weeds Uh, had trouble getting the the weeds to dry down with the bean plants so it was a slower harvest and with the windrower it uh, we're able to let that dirt that gets into the windrow dry out completely before we combine. So it's a quicker process for us. And then if we do have weed, weeds in as well, it they dry down equally when they're swathed and makes the combining a lot simpler.
0: And how about uh, slow darkening? Do you look at those? Is, is that a current trend in, in pinto beans or does that not affect you, your decision process?
2: It is, we, the our, the buyer of our pinto beans, they like them as bright and shiny as they can possibly be, so we do try to plant pinos that are uh, slow darkening, so they have more eye appeal at harvest.
1: Hey, Bob, our listeners probably don't know what a slow darkening pinto bean is. Would you explain the difference between a slow darkening pinto and a, and a conventional pinto bean? Sure.
0: And so, one of the things that makes Colorado beans world famous, let's say, is their bright, shiny, vibrant color. So, as you, once you store beans and either in a silo or later on in a in a sack, over time they tend to darken a little bit or and turn browner. So a slow darkening bean will actually go several years and and basically maintain the same look as it does right when it comes in for the initial harvest. There's also a non-darkening gene out there that I know some of the breeders are working on. That's not as fast to catch on, but the slow darkening helps the Colorado bean maintain its market niche.
1: And when they're producing these different varieties of bean, Bob, uh, how... Are these genetically modified, or how, do, how does that all work? Uh,
0: Zach answer that bit of me. Beans are not uh, uh, GMO. They are they use it through, through selective breeding and cutting and working in the different properties from other plants to make it. So not considered a GMO product. But corn can be GMO, and GMO products like corn, I believe, help Zach control Weeds and pests, is that true, Zach?
2: Yes, we don't have to use nearly the amount of pesticides to control weeds due to the uh, the roundup ready corn, and the corn plants also are able to defend themselves against insect pressure, uh, being gmo which which uh, allows us to use less insecticide as well.
1: yeah, I've had um a chance to interview corn growers in Colorado before and uh, you're, you're one of them Zach but uh, when when did your family started doing GMO corn was it in the late 90's or did you wait a little longer or?
2: our family started uh, as soon as it became available in the late 90's um, and honestly I've never in my farming career I've never dealt with corn that wasn't GMO we grow all, all GMO corn on our farm
1: the, the interview I did with three corn farmers uh, a couple of years ago, Zach, they um, had all been raising corn it was available, you know, and then in the mid-90s it came out and one farmer reported that, you know, I waited because I was skeptical. That's, uh, I just, you know, wanted to see how, I didn't want to be the guinea pig, but then his neighbor farmers, you know, started doing GMO and then they reported, you know, great yields, uh, better yields than he yield and less inputs, so he switched over and he never went back, so... Uh, do you think that's a common story, Zach?
2: Yes. Yeah. It's with technology. that's available, and uh, fewer passes. It would be really hard to to do anything different on our farm for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, you know, unfortunately, urban uh, dwellers uh, like myself live in the city. Um, you know, they we don't know. Well, we don't know because we don't farm pr- food and you know we hear things that genetically modified crops are bad or whatever but actually they're actually uh, very good for the environment they require less trips on the field with your tractor or less diesel fuel or less inputs and uh less chemicals and all that and so that and then, then that affects a non-gmo crop like beans beans are all non-gmo like bob said and um i sell a lot of colorado pinto beans and on all my bags it says non-gmo but I'm not trying to disparage genetically modified crops because they are uh, beneficial. Uh, so, um, hey, Zach. Um, hey, Bob. Do you have any? Uh, maybe one last question for Zach, and then we'll have to wrap up here.
0: Yeah, I do. Zach, you're uh, in the Holyoke area, so you're mostly growing on sandy soil. How does how d- does that affect what you have to use pesticides uh, and and other inputs for versus say the Lucerne or Greeley area, which is more of a clay soil. Well,
2: um, our farm is it's farther north, so we have very little sand on our on our farm, like a lot of the guys have uh, farther south of Holyoke. Um, so I can't say I'm am super familiar with with the sandy aspect of it. Um, I know that. The sand requires more water, and it requires um, more more trips across the field with less um, with less inputs applied due to the, the sandier soil. Um, water moves through the soil more quickly, and it moves um, nutrients with it. So, uh, the irrigation part of it with center pivots makes it really nice for guys with sandier soil where they can apply apply their um, nutrition through, through the pivots rather than having to put it all on the, on the field before, before the corn gets too tall and hoping that it doesn't move off the, off the soil with heavy rainfall. Um, does that answer your question? Oh.
1: Um, hey, Zach, uh, what about pests? What, what pests are the enemies of beans when you're trying to grow beans?
2: We fight uh, mold. Um, and uh, western bean cutworm are probably the two biggest deterrents for our bean crop, but uh, rotation helps with that a lot. Uh, we, we typically try to bury all the corn residue before we plant beans to keep, keep any disease off the soil surface, and uh, the GMO corn helps with the insect pressure as well, because we don't have the, the infestations getting built up inside the fields, because the corn plants can can fend off the insects without the use of insecticide.
1: Okay, The cutworms, they're 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 below ground in the soil. Is that right?
2: They they are in the soil, yes. And then they they feed on the on the pods themselves. They mm. can uh, just bite into a pod and open that pod up, and then the beans that are right around that pod where it gets opened up usually just shrivel up and, and turn to nothing, and they're not harvestable.
1: Mm. Hey, the pests like beans, too. They are delicious. Um, we're, we're about out of yeah. time, so I'm going to thank you both for uh, coming on the show, Food Chat, and uh, it was really a, a pleasure talking to both of you. Bob, we just have about 20 seconds left. Tell people where they can learn more about the Colorado Dry Bean Committee and even where they can learn uh, how to go find Colorado-grown dry beans.
0: The best place to do it is our website, which is ColoradoDryBeans, with an S, dot org. And there's links there to both where you can buy beans, how to prepare beans, and also other national and state websites for uh, information about all particularly you want to know about beans.
1: Great. So, yeah, we'll have that link uh, listed on this episode of Food Chat. So, hey, with that, thank you both for coming on the show, Bob. Thank you. Uh, Zach, thank you so much. Thanks for having
0: us, Greg. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by the Colorado Dry Bean Committee. Get connected to your Colorado grown dry beans and check out their website at coloradodrybeans.org. There you'll find great recipe ideas and places you can buy Colorado grown dry beans. coloradodrybeans.org. Here's to
1: the farmer, the plants, the fields and the spring, the turn from green to that harvest honey. Pull one up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake of money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son, raising a daughter They gather around the table, send it up to the father Somehow they get closer when times get harder Here's to the farmer
0: The views and opinions
2: expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the
0: station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and country station.